0: Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labour and youth in Canada, and the best source for a revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. For decades, the brutal apartheid system dominated South Africa. In the early 1990s, this regime was shaken to its very foundations, and was finally brought down. But how did this happen? In this episode, South African Marxist Ben Morkin describes the mighty revolution that ended apartheid in South Africa.
1: It's a great pleasure to be able to speak to you guys tonight. Um, I think the, this is an important discussion to have um, for a few reasons. First, um, Whenever there's talk about the struggle against apartheid in South Africa, it's usually told, you know, in terms of the um, brutality of the regime and the uh, oppression that, it, that, the, that the working class, and uh, the oppressed masses of South Africa suffered, and so on. It's usually told in very um, like sentimental terms, and so on. Um, and it's obviously important to to tell this, this this side of the event, but as the spirit shows. Um, You know, the South African working class is only capable of raising a revolutionary struggle on par with anyone. And it is that side, more than anything, that needs needs to be told. And we need to tell us the the revolutionary potential, the revolutionary history of the South African working class. Um, That is the most important thing for us, uh, because, you know, we don't see the working class as uh, as just an oppressed class. We see it as a revolutionary class. We need to learn the lessons from these past struggles. Um there's you know, there's also another side to all of this that um we need to set the record straight because as Joel said in his introduction, especially in the West, there's a you we know, have a distorted view about the the events, the real events that took place, especially in 1980s the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties, when the revolutionary flood day came. And um all kinds of secondary issues are given first rate importance, and um, events and processes that took place on the periphery of the, of the, of the great events are given uh, the limelight. And the real revolutionary history, the real revolutionary process that took place, is of, often ob- obscured by uh, uh, deliberately so because the the, you know, the media and the establishment don't want to tell this uh, the real history of the Slavic working class. Um, For us, we learn history, which includes the history of past revolutionary events in order to um, learn the lessons from it and to prepare ourselves for for future events. And for for that reason, it's important to give a truthful account of the real revolutionary history of the working class. Um, There's another reason. Um, It's now 27 years since the fall of the apartheid regime, formal overthrow of of that regime. And in this period, our uh, whole new generation has grown up. Um, you know, with the 1994 elections, the first non-racial elections that took place, the ANC uh, won um, nearly two thirds of the voters, uh, more than 60% of the vote. Uh, Nelson Mandela became the president and so on. There was this feeling and it's what, what we were told at that time he said, what we attained at it, uh, in 1994 was freedom. I and mean, this word freedom is, is, is used very uh, loosely. And this new generation that was born in this period and grew up in this period is referred to in South Africa as a born-free generation, the first generation that grew up after this uh, or the regime was overthrown. However, in this period, in those last 27 years, out of this new generation, uh, you know, there's some of some of these uh, layers are now some of the most militant and the most determined class fighters that grow up uh, after the uh, you know in the overthrow of the apartheid regime, because all they know their whole life for the last thirty years is the crisis. You know, not just just the crisis of the general crisis of capitalism, but also they know. Instinctively, that the negotiated settlement that overthrew the that, that formally ended the the apartheid regime is uh, actually directly responsible for the for the uh, for the crisis that they find themselves in today, because um, you know the 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 negotiated settlement which overthrew the, the regime or, or which put an end to formal over the formal end to this regime left all the wealth. Of this, this mess, immense wealth of the of, of this country with these great mineral resources all of this is still in the hands of the same people who have always always held it and um in in a tiny hand you know the the on the other end all that has changed is that the black elites the former leaders of of the leaders of the former liberation movement has now uh, get cut access to state power. And a tiny handful of of the black elite has, has joined the um, the bourgeoisie, the ruling class. But a vast majority of people, you know, the social and economic conditions are still the same. In fact, in, in some uh, measures, it's deteriorated, and um, poverty, uh, inequality, and so on is uh, is actually uh, on deeper on a deeper level than it was during the the, the time of the apartheid regime for that reason out of this new generation there's a great deal of anger frustration rage outrage even, um, because of this uh this, this this situation It's primarily for this for, uh, for these layers that this talk is uh, very important uh, this this talk is dedicated to because they 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 demand answers and they need a truthful account of what happened during this period um now there's this myth, uh, as Joel said, in specific, uh, especially in the West, that um, you know the regime was overthrown through diplomatic pressures and sanctions and boycotts and all of these kind of things. And as I said, you know these these things did happen, but it's 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 not the 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 great significance that is always um, given to them. These were you know secondary issues played out on the margins of the of the great events that took place. Um, the aim, just to address this issue of, of the sanctions, um, is, as I said, it's not a deciding factor, it's not a big thing. This is often betrayed in the West. But the, the aim of the sanctions, when they, when they eventually came, uh, you know, when the uh, imperialist powers eventually uh, imposed these sanctions on the regime, it was not, um, the aim was not, the aim was to preserve the system not to overthrow, it. it was the it was to save the the ruling, the South African ruling class from itself. Because you know it was aimed at the, at a certain faction of the of the regime, the hardliners, so called hardline faction of the regime, in favor of the reformers wing of the of the regime. And, you know the fact that there was hardliners and reforms is a, a result of the a split within the ruling class that took place uh, in the 1980s, uh, from the 1980s onwards. And as we you know, as uh, as Marx that uh, dialectically, revolutions always start at the top, or you know, most often start at the top, and uh, the old regime you know, finds itself with a crossroads and cannot govern in the old way. And all kinds of splits and divisions, and 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 uh, grow, grow in its ranks and so on. And this opened up the way for the masses to enter the enter the scene. This is, just, is exactly what happened. Uh, in the middle mid-1980s now um, this is when the masses entered the scene of history this is what we call a, a revolution um it was the just dramatic entrance of the working class that dictated everything um without the entrance of the working class um the regime would, would never have fallen it would never, never have been overthrown to save the system to save the uh the 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 capitalist system as a whole, the U.S. U.S. imperialism especially at that time came to the conclusion that uh, they need to get rid of the hardline faction, the, the 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 that faction of the regime that does that does not want to to open up the you know op- it's not open for talks. They, they saw it as a, cat, a catastrophe waiting to happen because of this mass revolutionary movement that that uh, that erupted in in nineteen eighty five. To save the system as a whole imperialist countries put pressure on this hardline faction of uh, p w Bota, the, the, the president at that time um and you know and and eventually uh, got rid of this faction in favor of the reformist wing of, the, of of the regime in you know, uh, led by uh, f w f. and so but also you know this idea that imperialists can be pressured on moral grounds. And this is statement of state often often in the West, the Western media and so on, moral grounds, you know, these poor blacks are being oppressed and so on. You know, U.S. imperialism of all people, you know, with the centuries of institutionalized racism, the history of the transatlantic slave trade, you know, the history of Jim Crow, the Ku Klux Klan, police horror, a regime, you know, was uh, propped up. Armed, aided, and abetted every bloodthirsty dictatorship, including the apartheid regime. You know, the idea that this, these people can be pressured on moral grounds to come to the aid of uh, Black people on, uh, <laughs> in the southern tip of Africa is an uh, absurdity. Um, it is not the, what motivated them, what motivated the action was the fear of the revolutionary overthrow of, of, of a very important key country in, on the African continent and uh, that, that would have been a, a big blow to them if they, if uh, capitalism was overthrown, and that was exactly what the struggle for the working class meant in, in South Africa. They were consciously fighting under the name of socialism, under the name of communism. That's the, they, they wanted to fight for socialism. That's the, they, they did did so consciously. That scared the ruling class into uh, the actions that they that they did. Now. Um, yeah, I'm going to talk about the heroic struggles of the working class in the 1980s, which eventually brought down the regime. But uh, before that, we uh, need to talk about um, what was apartheid. What, what, what's, what, is, what does it mean uh, to, to talk about this, uh, this, this system called apartheid, or this regime that governed that the country in, in that period? Um, so we have to talk about what apartheid was, and how it developed, and so on, how capitalism really developed in South Africa. Um, apartheid was capitalism unmasked, right? So it's 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 the the real face, without pretense of the ruling class. Um, it showed the real the the the, the mask the veil that's left from the from the face and show the ag- real ugly face of capitalism. That's what uh, that's what apartheid. Apartheid, you know, the material basis for apartheid was the super exploitation of of the black lab of the, black uh black labor in South Africa. Historically, you know, uh, from the beginning, um, black workers received as little as one sixteenth of the wage of of white workers or white uh white counterparts. And this differential um obviously got to the, went to the capitalists. Obviously the if you know if the South African mine owners um would get away with uh paying this to to uh, you know to a section of the working class, um, and while selling these uh, products on, at the world market, then obviously they can get uh, above average profits, super profits. And that's that, and, and for that reason, they they consciously drove down the uh, the 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 cost of labor um, through these exploitative uh, measures that they imposed in South so Africa one of the key and one of the key things to understand is the fight against apartheid was necessarily linked with the, uh, the struggle against capitalism and the workers in the 1980s came to that uh, realization themselves with the with a, uh, marvelous intervention in the 1985 revolution um apartheid is an africa word from the afrikaans language it means you know segregation it was um, the racial segregation and you know, categorization of South African society was you know, institutionalized racism. Um, you know, in segregation written into law and forced by a uh, brutal police state. It was you know, it regulated everything in social life, including you know, where you live, who you can marry, what beaches you can visit, uh, where you can do your shopping, can you go in the front of the of the shop. Or should you line up in the back of the shop to do your to do your shopping? Um, you know, all all these kind of things were regulated in in written into law in in, in country. Uh, it was also a like a, a ranking system. You know, white people on the top and um, African people at the bottom uh, in terms of the different privileges that uh, every uh, section of society had. And you know the the regime learned from 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 the British actually this uh, divide and conquer method. And so if you then they understand understood very well, if you're going to oppress our people, then it doesn't make sense to oppress them all equal, right? So um, uh, what you need is to build a system of grants like petty privileges uh, up for some and deny them for others, and this over time. Uh, creates resentment, animosity, and so on. And that ultimately, this dividing rule tactic um, is a, a big part of why the regime lasted so long uh, from 1948 until 1994. You know, And um, formally, the, the apartheid regime, um, as I said, lasted from, was, came into existence with the national party coming, was elected in 1948. Until it was, uh, you know, the regime eventually was dissolved in 1993. When the National Party won the elections, uh, the all white national elections in 1948 under the banner of Afrikaner nationalism, you know, it, it immediately enacted a whole battery of laws, hundreds of laws um, that wrote uh, se- racial segregation into law, which is just to give you know, for especially young comrades who are. Uh, might have an abstract uh, view of of these events. As you give a few examples of of these laws that came into existence. There was the Immorality Act, um, 1948, which prohibited adultery, attempted adultery or related implicit, I'm quoting from this, and and related immoral acts such as sexual relations between white and black people. There was the Group Mm -hmm. Areas Act Which made racial uh, residential segregation compulsory. This act laid down the the legal provision uh, on specific areas where different population groups could live. The main aim of this was to curb the movement of blacks from the rural rural part of the rural areas into the big cities and to white white only areas. This influx um, was a result of a a booming economy. Millions of black people moved from the rural areas into the cities to find uh, employment and so on. And to counter this influx, you know, and consolidate the, the the growing numbers, the government set up semi-urban townships on the outskirts of the big cities. Divide them, divided them into black, Indian, colored, you know, and, and, and these kind of uh, racial pop- population groups to divide the, the black working class, the black masses, in different. Uh, sections different sections of of of, of the big cities uh, in order for them to prevent them to li- link up their struggles you now you know and, and divide the, 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 the black working class or the black top population into this uh, made up ra- racial categories um there was also the so-called population registration act which was uh, uh, you know, Consrying the racial classification of South African society it was the the categories they came up with as, as European Indian colored and native natives africans native africans uh, this act described a white person as um, someone with both 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 uh, their parents are white. And the other thing they, uh, you know, and 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 categorize a white person not just by appearance but also by things such as habit, speech, education, and demeanor. All these kind of things were <laughs> written into law um, at the time. Blacks were defined as being a members of an African race or African tribe. Colored people—it's uh, not the same meaning as if you have to, as, the, as the term that is used in the U.S. This is a there is a specific South African term that's been used. it, uh, it encompasses all people, um, many different kinds of people, people from boy, Sun, heritage, people from uh, descendants from slave, all the kinds of people that they couldn't uh, you know, categorize into white and, and, uh, and, and African Indian. They legislated into existence a special category for these people and call them colored people. Um, they also set up a racial classification board, which was responsible for handling these uh, different classific- classification of of people, and they use all kinds of of, of methods, to um, all kinds of tests, to see in which category these you you fall. They had uh, lots of problems with, with colored people because you know there's a whole spectrum of people from they can be like very fair skinned people to very dark skinned people. And they had all all kinds of problems writing into law exactly what a colored person is supposed to be looking like. Um so they come up with all kinds of ridiculous uh tests to uh to, to, to classify people, including you know humiliating acts like um, the the comb test or the pencil test where they ra- run that, you know, a pencil through your head. If this thing's stuck, then you live on this side of the of the town. You'd go through the air through your head and it you belong to this category and so on. And this, this that detrimental effects on all whole families. Families were split and torn apart by these kind of practices that took place. And um, black black people were forced to carry uh, passbooks, pass known as storm passes, in which the you know their fingerprints were taken, um, the photo and all the in- information. And this, uh, they need to carry this all, all the time and present them to a police officer whenever they are in uh, a white, so-called white neighborhoods, or white uh, areas and so on. There was the, um, I'm not gonna go through all of these things, but um, there was the Bantu Authorities Act, which um, the aim was to set up like what they call homelands in the rural areas where, or uh, Bantu where uh, black Black people were supposed to confine themselves to. The government used this this act to to, to the whole aim was to to keep Black people from uh, moving on mass from the rural areas into the cities. In the, you know, and 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 they set up these homelands with uh, chiefs that was uh, directly linked to to the, to the government in in, in Pretoria. And if you have to if you are in these homelands, then you would uh, it would revoke your citizenship to South Africa and you would have to have you know, a passport if you want to enter the you know the country is you always guilty there was the native labor acts and prohibited strikes from uh, you know black Africans not uh, allowed to have strikes there was the public safety act or the state of emergency acts which they used in nineteen eighties which gave, gave uh, extraordinary powers to the to, to the state and the minister of law and order the Commissioner of the police a magistrate or any com any commissioned officer um, could detain any person for any reason for the for, for, for reasons for public safety. And uh, they could be detained without trial um, and for you know for even showing dissent and so on. Uh, other things, the Bantu Education Act. There was the, sep- the, the reservation of separate amenities act, which uh you know, uh, separate amenities, separate toilets, separate parks, separate beaches, separate uh, restaurants and so on for for different categories of, of people um, you know, and so on. So there was uh, the whole battery of, of of these laws that was enacted. Um, the riotous assemblies act which prohibited uh, mass demonstrations and strikes. There was the Industrial Conciliation Amendment Act which uh, set up different Allow different trade unions without Africans, you know, colored, Indian, and so on, are were supposed to have, you know, they could join a trade union, but, um, they, you know, uh, an African, sorry, a colored person cannot join a white union, and an Indian person cannot join a colored union. So basically, divide the working class uh, in, in, men- in this measure. I think this gives uh, a good picture of the nature of this regime you know this was um the regime of distilled racism it was uh, and wrote all of these laws into into uh, into uh, into law you know institutionalized them and ultimately <coughs> uh, um, legislated all of these things into into law and this you know as i said the, the regime this apartheid represented the real ugly face of of the bourgeoisie. you Now, he will, was prepared to trample underfoot any uh, movement, anything that uh, challenged his power, his wealth, and privileges. it kept, uh, you know, violently kept millions of black people in conditions of barbarism and semi-slavery for, for a long period of time. And you know, it was true that the The African regime, the the regime of the National Party that uh, took office in 1948, um, institutionalized these laws. But the truth is that these practices were uh, taking place throughout the whole history of of the colonial era. It was the, uh, especially British uh, colonialism, also the Dutch, uh, also colonial power before that, they actually came out with this thing. Already, the, the regime deep in 1948 they they institutionalized all of these practices that had already t- taken taking place for 300 years before. Um, you know, on the one hand, um, you know, from the from the time of the you know the first white settlers uh, arrived in the Cape, um, especially the the um, when the was so called. Dutch East India Company um, arrived over three hundred years ago. The, the pattern was always to set up, you know, the brutal exploitation of of the people, especially the, the first people they came in contact with was the the Khoi people in in the, in the Cape Province, and you know the Dutch launched a genocidal war against the Khoi people. The San people were all about exterminate in in this whole process. Slaves were imported from Malaysia and uh, other parts, of, other, other parts of the uh, in the East. Even today, you know, the amount of slavery of slaves that was uh, brought from Malaysia, especially Malaysia, but also other countries, um, the effect was so great that even today in cities like Cape Town, every one in third, uh, every every third person in Cape Town is of Malay heritage um you know and it's very you know escape is a very different city to to the rest of the other of the other countries because of this massive slave trade slave trade that took place in in that period and, and eventually white settlers began to penetrate the interior of the country and they you know drove out indigenous people from the best farming lands and seize cattle and so on and subdue them by uh, armed conquest and force, uh, you know, to force them to to um, the, all kinds of uh, ass systems, including past, having pass laws um, and imposing all kinds of taxation on on, on, the, on the indigenous population in the interior. And they began to uh, you know this, you know the ceaseless acts of armed aggression in, in the face of this ceaseless armed of of. of of aggression the African people obviously resisted and tried to defend their capital defend, defend their land and stuff, from the robbery and the enslavement of this of this period and took up arms against the the invading nations and there was always you know various movements that uh, resulted as a as a result of this but you know the, the the fight was always sealed you know um it took up it was a, a fight of, of spears against guns and in in the long run um you know the freight was always always sealed against the, the African uh, uh, tribal populations, and the tribal society and you know the rural economy could not provide a material basis to wage a warfare against an enemy with an uh, advanced economy and more destructive weapons. There was also disunity among the various African peoples, you know, running uh, hundreds of years, which prevented you know uh, a common front against uh, the the uh, Against this uh, uh, big threat, and time and time again, the wars of conquest—you know, wars of conquest of the African people—the uh, colonial powers were able to play off one <coughs> tribe against another, and so on. <coughs> um, there's all—all all, you know the. the the, uh, a real important change took place in the last quarter of the 19th century with the discovery of, uh, first of all, diamonds, and secondly, um, the gold fields of the of the wet waterfront area. Uh, these were some of the, the biggest uh, gold reserves in history. You know, the biggest the, the biggest gold mines, the most the uh, vali- valuable gold mines in the world, was uh, discovered at, at that time. Diamond fuse was, was opened in uh, places like Kimberley and so on. Um, they founded the the Beers uh, Diamond Company. was until today is still the world's biggest uh, diamond company. Um, they formed the Anglo American Group uh, conglomerate. This is a big mining uh, operation. And you know, British and European finance houses uh, invested a, uh, extraordinary amounts of money of money to develop these. Uh, these mines and uh, to, to seize the mineral wealth. That also, also over time, some of the o- other minerals were also discovered. This, this obviously had a, a, a big impact on the history of the, of the of the struggle that uh, took that, that place from that onwards. To seize the control of these uh, gold fields and the diamond mines, the British um, British Imperial Army uh, waged wars, um, the so-called Anglo-Boer Wars, which really a South African war. Um, from the, the 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 you know the 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 Afrikaners, the bulls in the in the in the interior of the country, and gold mining companies were now the the real owners of the or the real rulers of the country. They had um, you know um, you know on on and but you know as as much as the struggle took place between the the uh, Afrikaner nationalists and the European powers, especially the English uh, English ruling class, um, they all, all, always had this common uh, policy in, in, in place to exploit the local African population. And in spite of the war, they, they fought uh, two wars, called the Anglo-Boer Wars. the AS colonial policies were implemented wherever uh, you know, it doesn't matter who was who was in charge of that piece of the, of the country. Was it the, the British imperial rulers, or was it the Afrikaner uh, regime? You know, for for the black majorities, that didn't really matter who was who was uh, who was administering that piece of the country. Um, they and they, you know, they all all kinds of um, in that period, all kinds of measures were put in place to, you know, like the institute past uh, systems or poll taxes to get the Africans off their land, you know, basically, and to, to you know, and the and, uh, uh, process of dispossession of the Africans from the land, from the cattle and so on. And the whole purpose of all of this was to uh, drive them into the mines, into the, the diamond mines, the gold mines, the platinum mines and so on. In the, in the Cape province, um, Cecil John Rhodes passed the the Gray Act of eighteen ninety four. His whole purpose was to force Africans into the the, the wage into a wage labour market by severely restricting uh, African people from accessing uh, land. Um, you know, in a speech to Parliament, he, he, he described his measures. He vowed basically to um, march. These, he spoke about the, the the people at that time. He said he would march them into the colony under the, under the European superintendence, unarmed and provided only provide them only with implements of labor and, and will march them out again in the same manner when employment ceases. And so that's basically the whole pur- purpose of these uh, acts was to um, uh, dispossess the people of the land drive them into mines on cheap labor and so on, and when they uh, no longer work for them, drive them back to these, uh, these so-called homelands that this uh, set up at uh, that period. The, act, in, the act, this act imposed a 10 shilling labor tax on all Africans who could not prove that they had been employed for three months of the year. Um, a land shortage uh, coupled with the tax um, for not engaging in wage labor pushed the thousands of Africans into the so-called migrant labor system. People wander from one area of the country uh, to another to, to look for jobs, look for for, for work and, and wages and so on. These were all measures essentially designed to ensure a labor uh, a system of of labor migration that would feed the mines in Kimberley, the Quaterns, and uh, the Northwest uh, Province and so on, and create a whole pool of cheap black labor and in the operational dispossession uh, of the and exploitation of blacks the british imperialism and the Afrikaner nationalism found uh, common ground and this was the basis for the for the establishment of the union of south africa which is set up as uh, in after a negotiated settlement between the british imperialism and the african uh, uh, nationalists in 1910 this so called treaty of vereinigung in which in which they in which they set up the union what they call the Union of south africa um, and as for the first time uh, South Africa was established as a political entity as a centralized state uh, power um, under one uh, authority the the unionist government and this established the political conditions for the for the construction and development of a national a capitalist economy and national institutions of uh, bourgeois political domination. The economic power and the political influence of British imperialism now exercised indirectly um, through the political structures of this new state and the descendants of, of the Europeans. These um, new national structures were based on the effects of, you know, centuries of colonial conquest and uh, land dispossession. The new Union of South Africa perpetuated the inferior status of of Africans who were not incorporated into this the state. They, they had no rights. Uh, and only uh, people of European descent uh, had rights of the state, um, uh, including citizenship rights uh, and so on. Uh, in 1913, they, they uh, passed a, uh, an act which was um, a law, which uh, drastically changed the whole situation. They confined the, the black majority to 13% of the land uh, and the, the rest, 87% of the land, went to a tiny minority of, of the population which could then exploit the, the vast mineral reserves of the country. And, you know, as, as we said, capitalism developed you know, very late in, in, in South Africa through, a, through you know, a combined, in a very combined and uneven manner. Um, processes that took place in Europe over centuries right? compressed into a very short period of time. This uh, South African, you know, so lots of stages were skipped um, in the development of a national uh, capitalist economy. And you know, um, and the South African, this state upward that was that was created, this national economy that was that was created, um, was a result of you know in. So not a result of in Europe like an internal popular uh, revolution against feudalism and so on. It was it was, uh, it was very different uh came into existence very differently in, in, in South Africa, very very peculiar form. Um it was imposed from above and from without from the very start, the South African capitalism therefore it was was tied head and foot to the to the imperial states, especially to 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 England. Um, capitalism in Europe, uh, cap- capital from Europe financed the mines and provided the resources to build the basic infrastructure, you railways, the uh, roads, the harbors, the posts, uh, the telegrams and so on. And it was the imperial army uh, of occupation that created the conditions for the political unification of the country. The racial division of labor, the you know, battery of laws that was implemented and the political exclusiveness all of this uh, was 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 guaranteed uh, from from the very start from the of, of this of this uh, new new state apparatus um the union agreement between the two groups held until the ni- until 1940s when the Afrikaner nationalists were able to um uh, to become the the strong the stronger part of this uh, of this uh, you know the, the majority of the of the ruling class and the strategists of the national party in, invented apartheid laws as a means to cement their control and of the, of the- economy and of the social system and so on and the aim of apartheid was you know to maintain white domination uh, while extending you know the racial separation for the for the for the vast majority of the black people um you know from a from you know in, in the start uh fabric because of the typical a colonial economy, um, you know, extractive um, of mineral resources, seldom to the world market and so on. But over time, the uh, uh, it became a very well-developed capitalist economies, industrial uh, processes took place, especially after the Second World War, created in, an industrial base um, and a very monopoli- monopolized form of capitalism was created. And you know, the development of capitalists Forces of production uh, led to, you know, the extensive growth of the working class, which is a very important uh, change in our situation. It's, you know, uh, uh, and numerically, the working class, which you know, the core of the working class, especially since the since in, uh, after the Second World War, was the industrial working class, which was created by this by this period. This was a very important uh, development in, uh, in in for 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 future developments. Of the country, even in the rural areas, in the countryside, every agricultural workers and migrant laborers make up the, the majority of the population. You know, the you know, the peasants uh, even at that time began to be uh, to become the minority of the of the, of the population. Um, underneath all of these developments, there was a, what Trotsky called the molecular, molecular process of, of revolution took place. The Underground, they could in in the, in the in the as they develop the economy, they they develop the working class. They develop an industrial working class. They are very advanced working class. Even even though they went through you know the horrors of the apartheid laws and so on, the orders the of the the racial uh, segregation, all of these kind of things, they they created the conditions for the for the working class to grow up, to learn, and to and in the factories, especially in the, in the, in the the, the factories of the big cities, and a new uh, working class being formed on the underground, and it's it, over time, over decades, over a very short period of time, actually, grow to be numer- numerically very strong in, in certain places. And this was felt in the early 1970s for the first time when the, on 9 January 1973. Um, workers in, uh, in a brick factory went out and strike in Durban. And within a matter of, uh, of hours, the strike spread to different locations or different, uh, of different of, areas of the port city of Durban, to ins- including um, ship repairs companies and ultimately to dock workers in in that period. By, and it spread like a wildfire throughout the city. By, uh, by March of that year on approximately half of the entire african population in durban went on strike and this shook the regime to uh, to its core they didn't expect i mean they 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 could see they could um they could they you know, they couldn't really foresaw, foresaw the the events that was uh, going on under, underneath you now only only the marxists at that time could could see that what the capitalists created through their exploitation of the of brutal exploitation of the working class was the creation of a new industrial working class under 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 those conditions and for the first time in the nineteen seventy three top worker strike um they you know this this movement was was was, was beginning to bubble up into into uh into the existence at that time the government now immediately the government the party government and the white the capitalists were shaken by this, uh, by this development. And uh, they, you know, look to them, it was like a spontaneous thing that happened. It spread like wildfire throughout the city of of, of Durban. You know, people are protesting against the no the wages, mm-hmm. the humiliating past uh, laws, the apartheid laws, the, the hardship of the, the migrant labor system, the forced removals, you know, the denial of the right to organize, uh, the right to basic human rights, and the racism of that of the regime, and and you know through songs and marches, the Durban bo- Dock um, uh made that you know their demands heard, and for the first time um, went on strike for for the first time in in, in almost uh, since the 1950s went on strike, exercised their their political uh, power in the factories, and, and through mass action and so on. The strike sign, sign signified. The beginning of a turning point in a long struggle for a black, the coloured, the Indian working class to build a, non-ra- a non-racial trading, trade unions and to open up the possibilities for the, for the end of the apartheid regime. Now, this, this process took place um, uh, from the early 1970s onwards, but it was delayed by the 1974 crisis, you know, the so-called oil crisis uh, of, of that period. Um, it, it, World economy went into crisis that temporarily cut across this this movement, but in other layers of society, there was there was also rumblings uh, uh, of discontent being being uh, brought to the surface. It's always always the case in, in pre-revolutionary situations that um, that other layers, especially the intelligentsia, the students, come to the fore. Um, you know, there's a, there's a there's an air of of. Of uh, uh you know that things are, su- are supposed to be different, and, and, and there was a lot of ferment in the universities and things, are also uh significantly in high schools, that uh, you know people uh, are desperately trying to find a way out, find a way out. They look in all kinds of directions. You know, the whole point about a revolution or pre-revolution is they put all tendencies to the test. In 1976 or early, mid-1970s. The uh, through a process of, um, of the the movement called the Black, the Black Consciousness Movement uh, came to the fore, especially very popular among students and uh, high schools, high school students, and so on. It was led by uh, Steve Biko and so on. But promoted, um, um, you know, this was a a, a revolt against the the, the capital, against the, the apartheid laws, which you know the, the humiliating uh, petty laws that was that was created, you know that. that um, that showed the or oh, try to project black people as inferior and so on. And I, I, against this this uh, notion, um, Pico uh, promoted the idea of you know, black consciousness, black people into to change their consciousness, the way they see themselves, and so on. It became very popular among the students and so on. And in 1976, the regime tried to, and one of the latest approaches, recruit you know one of the latest maneuvers, tried to make Africa, the Afrikaans language uh, compulsory in, in, the, in, in the education system. All Africans should be, should be able to speak the Afrikaans language. This was resisted fiercely by high school students. And in Soweto, on June 16, 1976, um, high school students went on strike. They, they didn't go to, to school, and so on. demonstrated in, in, uh, in the streets of Soweto where they were met by fierce police uh, brutality and so on and uh, a whole massacre took place in, and immediately, within hours, Our whole township of Soweto was, uh, was on fire. Now this was not a, a working class movement, as I said, this was uh, school students, high school students that, is, that came forward with this demands. In fact, the students, the parents of the students went to work on that day like any other day. When they returned home, the uh, township was on fire. The children were being shot at by the police and the army, and, and so on. that drew in the working class. That further radicalized the the whole movement. It's uh, uh, this great, great great impetus to the to the developments already taking place beneath the surface of of events. Um, the process continued until 1979, when the government um, was forced through uh, through a uh, collective struggle of of new unions that was formed, new brand brand new unions from was uh, started from shop floor up, upwards to, uh, to to force the government to recognize Africans uh, that Africans should uh, should 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 have independent trade unions. That a very so called they appointed a uh, commission of inquiry, set up the process and then eventually relented so that uh, um this could uh, come to pass. This is a very important step forward. And uh, eventually, uh, what what became known as the the Metro workers union, at that, at that stage was the forerunner of what is today known as the National Union of Metal Workers of Sri the biggest trade union in the country. Um, they won a, a very important struggle to set up a non non uh, non racial trade union at that stage, in, in which they they won the struggle, and and and, and that's sort of further significant, further. Uh, um it further cemented the, 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 the whole process that took in pla- was taking place underneath in the in the factories the real process of radicalization that took place in uh, in the factories in the mines and so on um you know, the the real events which uh, forced the apartheid regime to to start in the 1990s was the dramatic mass mobilization of the working class which began to take place in from 1980 onwards, really, the pre-revolutionary stages, the emergence of an organised revolutionary working class, you know, shook the, the regime to its core. Um, the movement of the working class was its strikes and demonstrations. The program of so-called rolling mass actions continued right up to that period, on uh, right up until 1994. And behind it, the working class began to mobilise all the oppressed layers of of society behind them. Um when this, you know, in the in the in the pre- in the previous period, when the struggle was restricted to the residential townships, you know, it wasn't a great threat to to the African capitalism. In fact, you know, the as I said earlier, the townships were designed specifically for areas of repression to, to outside of the cities, away from the main economic leaders and so on. Uh it was a great nuisance, a great disturbance for the state, but it's uh you know, it didn't really change anything. Any disturbance that was there was contained. In that area, but the situation changed dramatically with the with the um with the working class in the in the cities um when they stage staged a strike in in the city that's you know south african uh, south african cities uh, come come came to a standstill this was demonstrated you know in the social power which you know combined the 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 stop down struggle with strikes in the cities that, that that was a game changer at at that uh, particular time in, 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 especially in the mid in the mid nineteen eighties and the uh, from that time on was the a section of the ruling class um, began to understand the significance of of what was happening and uh, they they immediately tried to set up to they. We try to reach out to the leadership of the liberation movements, of the ANC and all the other liberation movements. and try to have informal, um, informal negotiations from 1984 onwards. Uh, reach out to the, to the, uh, to the, to the people in exile in different exile countries, countries that was, in, uh, leadership that was in exile in other countries around around the world. To um, to, have, to start informal talks with them, and uh, at that time, U.S. imperialism also came to the same conclusion in the mid nineteen eighties, seeing the revolutionary masses at the potential to overthrow the entire system. U.S. imperialism began to um, you know to come to put pressure on the Bota regime in favor of the of the this reformers' movement that was that was taking place. There was also a, a in this process there was a, a change taking place within the ruling class itself from nineteen forty eight onwards until the 1970s the The government was was run by um uh, petty bourgeois elements of of, of the african Africaner uh, uh nationalists and so on you know topical uh, uh, petty bourgeois elements. But in from as the capitalist system developed and became more uh, dominant in that in that period, um, they have a new layer of Afrikaner billionaires uh, come to the fore, and and it was a change the weight of the of the ruling of, of big business became bigger in in the late nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties and so on, and they had a direct um, interaction with the working class at that stage um and so they you know they they tried to put pressure on the outline faction regime to try to, to, to try to come to accommodation to change to change the the most extreme laws of the apartheid regime you know give like um, uh, minimum reforms uh to, to 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 basically to open up this you know to put up the put down the safety valve blow up some steam get rid of all these unnecessary uh, oppressive laws and so on. Uh, but you know the stubbornness of the border regime made the negotiations impossible. It was like a uh, the only in informal talks that was was taking place outside of the of the former circus yeah the nineteen eighties uh, saw waves of strikes um already in nineteen eighty there was there was strikes in Cape Town that uh, shook the country to 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 its very foundations also in the same year, the strikes taking place in, in Johannesburg but they had the same result. The, the regime and they had to change the laws to accept the reality of the of the, the, the workers' organisations. Uh, they was you know the the, the, the strikes in, uh, put re- uh, reality you know to change the conditions on the ground, and they had to change the laws to come accommodate the new uh, the new situation. But you know the workers got the workers crucially started started to connect the township struggles with with the struggles in the factories and uh, and and to reach out to political organizations and that 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 you know that was a, a very important development in in that area um and that became the hallmark of the 1980s. and you know typical example in nineteen eighty five um there was a massive revolutionary wave that swept the country uh in 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 that nineteen eighty five onwards and it's is not generally, you know, it's now known that um, on 1 February, 1990, um, the regime released Nelson Mandela and so on. But what is not very well known, um, even today, is that they actually started to have negotiations with Mandela in, in 1984. And um, in 1985, they made him an offer to, uh, to release on condition that they renounced violence and all of this. And the real aim was really to hold back the the mass movement that was taking place. It shook, shook the regime in, in 1985. So this was really the start of the of the revolutionary process that took place in January 1985. And the regime, in imposed in the way, in the face of this, imposed. Um, it was eventually forced to impose. They chose to to um, impose a state of emergency for uh, so the first time they imposed the 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 uh, security laws the state of emergency laws in 1985 and and you know it was a ferocious clampback on using the emergency powers to uh, to deal with this with uh, this situation but is it eventually um this, this proved the impotence, the 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 complete impotence at, at in the face of the of the revolutionary wave because they the longer this emergency power ca- came into into uh, was was existing the more apparent it became that the regime was unable to uh, to clamp down on the mass movement that was already taking place and as time the ferocity of the state reaction was was met by waves of strikes and gen- uh, demonstrations in uh, Not just in the uh, the townships that was previously the case, but also in the big cities, working class in the factories and so on, uh, uh, brought the cities to a standstill. Um, And the longer the emergency loss was contained, the more impotent they they become. In the face of all of this, the old regime, there was a a sense of doom and uh, foreboding, gripping the old regime at that time. And the most uh, important element in 1985 was the formation of, in, of one umbrella organization, of all the trade unions, the most important trade unions uh, that took place. It was under the, uh, the creation of the Congress of South African trade unions on 1 December, 1985. At the heart of, you know, in the, in the battle of this the fierce struggle that was going on, the working class set up their own uh, labor federation as the U.S. Federation brought together all the unions uh, you know, that, that uh, shook the country in waves of strike from 1973 onwards um, in, in this period. And the, Im- the impact of the launch of Cosatu was immediately felt by the regime. The workers um, embarked on waves of strike, that we call rolling mass action. In January 1985 alone, uh, there was 185,000 mandates were lost to industrial action. By the end of March, this figure shot up to 550,000 mandates days a huge increase um, of, of this period. There were strikes in Impala Platinum mines, in Pope and Anglo-American gold coloring. There was strikes in in, Palo, Platinum, in, Tiswana, was, uh, strikes in, in Middleburg, in Witbank, in Pretoria. Uh, even in small, uh, you know, outlying uh, provinces, provinces and so on, there were strikes in Carlton, All the, ma- the big mining uh, corporations was uh, was hit by waves of, of revolutionary strikes. Uh, ma- ma- many mine workers were killed by the police and, and soldiers, private arms and private security guards. But only, you know, the, the killings often resulted in in uh, strikes and, and general strikes, and, and uh, that was as uh, retaliation either class. Um in it it uh, shook many sectors, not just mining, but also manufacturing and the service sector. Workers flocked to this new uh federation wasati. Um and membership shoot up uh, by a tremendous amount in by I think a million workers in, in one year or something like that. On you know, May Day was not always May Day was never a holiday in South Africa, and um until one May nineteen eighty-six. It was, it was the 100th uh, anniversary of International Labor Day. And the working class staged a massive, de- massive demonstration, uh, shook the country to its, uh, not, brought the country to a standstill. When 1.5 million workers in, in, in a place like Johannesburg, then downtown Johannesburg was like a sea of humanity. It brought the whole country to a standstill. And uh, through the sheer mobilization, the working class, forced Onto the regime, um, the idea that uh, May Day should now be a public holiday. Should a sheer mobilization they forced the regime to accept the conditions? Um, uh, now everybody went on this, so not just workers, but they included all kinds of oppressed layers of society, including high school, of school students, students, taxi drivers, walkers, shopkeepers, domestic workers. All kinds of uh, elements was brought, brought into the struggle in, in that uh, massive uh, rally that took place on, on, on that day. And rallies by in all the major centers, even in uh, the, the smaller smaller cities, were also uh, dwarfed with uh, revolutionary activities. Um, and May Day was, you know, the, the, the big corporations had to accept that May Day from now on would be a public holiday. Premier Foods was the first company to. Big conglomerate to announce that from now on May Day and June 16th would be uh, become uh, pu- uh, paid for public holidays. Um, this general strike and strike wave and general intense uh, mobilization of the working class, out of peer de- desperation, the the regime declared a second state of emergency in 1986. And launched a ferocious campaign of detentions and crackdowns and uh, uh, incursions into the townships. Our yeah, townships were sealed off. And there was uh, incursions. There was uh, strikes. Um, you know, bombings. All kinds of uh, uh, measures to uh, to. To, to pin down the strikes, basically encircle the township uh, and, and try to, and in that way, to 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 dose the flame of revolution. It was, uh, it was uh, that was that all that did was to it, it grow the to, to intense the intensify the the resistance of the of the, uh, of of the struggles in, in that period. And just to give an example of of, um, of the sentiment that was uh, prevailing at that time in 1980. Seven During a huge crippling strike, the Los Angeles Times quoted a senior executive of a big mining conglomerate um, with the following words. He said, two years ago, black kids were on the streets or by the thousands, and that was worrying enough, even scary. Today, their fathers went out on strike by the tens of thousands, and that is truly frightening. That was the the sentiment that was uh, it was uh, quite often, uh, you know, given by the representatives of the ruling class at that time. The regime even deployed, you know, the the military to barricade Cosatu's headquarters in Johannesburg in a desperate attempt to contain the situation. But the workers retaliated, and uh, you know, thousands went on the strike in in the face of these uh, provocations. Um, when mine workers' leaders were detained or arrested workers went out and strike and uh, brought out the whole com- company especially there was a, an incident in kimberley where they detained the leadership of the of the trade unions, and workers went out to strike and they immediately um, uh, uh, these uh, elements were re- these uh, leaders were released and so forth. in nineteen eighty nine september nineteen eighty nine uh, july nineteen eighty nine there uh, was a massive campaign, Kosatu and all the other um, uh, formations launched a so-called defiance campaign, in which they, uh, in the same manner that they did in 1986, uh, forced the regime through sheer m- mobilization. The aim, aim, the, comp- or the aim of the campaign was to make the conditions on the ground so that the regime could, you know, basically uh, have to accept the conditions as, as, as now a changed fact. In, 19, in July 1989, they they launched a campaign to to defy the, all the apartheid laws. You know, the so-called separate amenities and all of these kind of things. And you know, um, uh, all you know, so-called white area, white so, white exclusive areas were you know occupied by, uh, by uh, large sections of black people. Mid September this campaign was intensified and so on and and you know white only beaches was yeah you know, completely ignored people went into the front of the shopping etc so you know, they made it impossible to to enforce the the the, the, the apartheid yeah, laws that was that was still in, in place at that time um, in mid-september your marches took place in cape town Johannesburg, pretoria and people f- openly flew the ANC flag, which uh, was uh, banned at that stage. The Communist Party flag was, was still banned at that stage. Even in smaller cities like Uttermego in, in the Eastern Cape, or uh, East London in Eastern Cape, you know, the this uh, this um, they 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 literally went went to the marches wearing. ANC regalia of waving flags and so on, which was completely illegal. So, and the regime in the face of this was powerless to, to stop this. This revolutionary movements, you know, struck a terror into, into the regime. You know, was, you know they, they saw then that the, the game was up. And, um, you know, but it's still, this, you know, the outline faction was still uh, in charge in, in uh, from, from 1986 onwards. And uh, ultimately, uh, in the face of this, when the regime saw what was what was happening on the ground, uh, it was only then that they turned on the hardline faction, moved uh, moved against Bota in nineteen eighty six, beginning of nineteen eighty six, when he had a, a stroke, and he, w- he was replaced by uh, uh, the clerk, who was the representative of, of the of the of the reformers wing of the of the regime of the yeah of reformers wing of the of the regime. And this was this movement, this mass movement in September nineteen eighty-nine, um, July 89, September 8, nineteen eighty-nine. It was this regime, actually, or this this mass movement, which led to the unbanning of the ANC, which led to the unbanning of of the of the Communist Party, and all the banned political organizations. It was this regime or this movement of the working class which led to them freeing Nelson Mandela in first one September, one February 1990. Um, you know, uh, always in, in in the West, it's always portrayed as the clerk was this great reformer and, and all of these kind of things. And he, was, he he came to the party and released Mandela. It was the masses on the streets that, that did that. They forced this. They forced the end, They forced the the unbanning of the ANC. The fact that the ANC today, oh, at that, that stage, was uh, was unbanned was through the sheer mass mobilization of the working class on on, on the ground. These, and. Countless examples emphatically show that the whole, the true protagonist and the true motor force of the events was which overthrew the regime on the ground, was the heroic struggles of the the working class. We should be clear about this. The overthrow of a party was not due to negotiating skills of the ANC leadership or the liberation movement or, or the leadership of the clerk on the other side or the so called armed struggle that many people formed. Especially people in the ANC, apparently that was an arms struggle. You know, and, the, and, and if you ask them for examples of the arms struggle, and they can't, can't, can't come up with this. Um, what what overthrew the, the whole regime, but overthrew the whole, it changed the whole course of, of of events with the mass mobilization of the working class, the black working class in that period. And that opened up in the regime, but then came to, to the proposal to have formal negotiations with the leaders of the of the liberation movement um, after the unbanning of the ANC, the, the SACP, release of Mandela in 1990, and, and so on. Um, and during that period, uh, there was a period between, 1980, ni- between 1991 and 1993, Was uh, so-called uh, 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 Congress or, or conference was set up between the leadership of the Liberation movement and the their regime to come to some some kind of arrangement, but even uh, the so-called reformers uh, wing of the, of the Berg, um in order to change the situation in their favor, they launched a terror of, a reign of, uh, a reign of terror in the townships. Um, you know, they what they did was they funded um, and you know financed. Um, Zulu nationalism, especially in, in the province of Brazil and Natal, um, petty bourgeois elements in the in the from the Zulu nation, um, Zulu monarchs, monarchs and so on, funded them, and specifically with the aim of of fighting in with the with the uh, with the, the, the unions and the uh, you know, the anti-apartheid activists and so on, eliminating through sheer violence and so on. And, uh, and the and the, the movement had to respond by setting up uh self-defense units, street committees, neighborhood committees and so on to fight, you know, uh, literally end to end with the these stocks which which a regime called uh, regime called this black on black violence, which it was really was what it was was state sponsored terrorism and it's unleashed on, on the regime, uh on the working class in order to to, to ex you know, exact, um, compromised from the leadership of the of the it was negotiating tech basically exact exact uh, negotiating uh, advantages for, for for their own uh, uh, ends and there was a whole series of massacres that took place during that period. Um there was the, the most significant was the uh, a battle of or the massacre in, in a township called Boy Patong which and more than 40 people were killed. And this angered massively again in, in the ranks of the working class, which you know, demanded action, it's, and then negotiations was uh, was halted uh, as, as a result of this uh, brutality that was unleashed. And a whole reign of terror that was unleashed on the townships and so on. And uh, a low intensity civil war erupted in the province of Natal. This in Carter, thugs being unleashed on the, the activists of the working class, and so on. The workers had to fight back, retaliate, uh, um, and it was a low intensity civil war was unleashed in in that province. And with the with this uh, reign of terror that was unleashed, the the you know Mandela and the leadership was forced to, to stop the negotiations at that stage. And it's only in ten September nineteen nine ten September nineteen. 1993, a very significant event took place when uh, a Polish immigrant of, um, of, you know, was yeah from Poland with very extreme anti-communist views, um, li- teamed up with a uh, far-right element, far-right, new Nazi element, and they assassinated uh, Chris hani this was a very important leader in the, he was a general secretary of the communist party at, at that stage. He was very, he was, you know, to the left of the of the of the, of the liberation movement, um, and they saw him as a very as very you know as a threat to 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 uh, uh, as you know, a, a representative of communist status you know this this red uh, uh, scarecrow that they that they that they threw up at that stage, and he was assassinated on ten uh, April nineteen ninety three. Uh, and immediately you know he was a very important element in a very important figure and, and very popular with the, the ranks of the liberation um, i mean really uh, he was much much beloved uh, leader of the a real leader of the working class at this stage and he was assassinated on that day and within within hours there was a massive revolutionary anger that swept the whole country and and to the, yes, the movement that was unleashed at, with the assassination of Ghazani was you know, suspended the whole state apparatus into into mid air. Um, the regime could not function. Could not in the face of this movement could not could not function. the, the so called you know this regime of terror that was you know with nuclear weapons and and, and so on was basically frozen in, in mid air by the sheer movement of the of the working class, and uh, it took. Uh, Nelson um, yeah, Mandela, the other leaders of the, of the of the ANC at this stage, used all their authority, all the uh, the, 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 you know, the authority that they had uh, at this stage to hold back them. Mandela came on national television. He was not the president or anything like that, but he was. putting put him on national television, uh, national radio, national uh, media, and so on. To hold back the movement, appeal for calm, and in the face of this, of this uh, revolutionary movement, it, at a time when the whole apartheid apparatus was uh, basically melting away, in the face of this, of this mass movement of the working class, and uh, this eventually, uh, you know, for a number of days, there was a revolutionary anger that swept the whole country. In uh, the they held uh, three days of national mourning in uh, in Johannesburg, in uh, in a stadium. Just there was a stadium of uh could hundred thousand people. There were a million people at that at uh, demonst- a mass demonstration of uh, of sheer power of, of just show the, the enormous uh, revolutionary wave that was that was that was unleashed at that stage. And for days like that, the old, you know, the apartheid machine was basically suspended in midair and took took days for them, about ten days to to, re- to recover their feet. And for and and in this process, the all, the immense authority that Mandela and all the other leaders had at this stage was used to hold back the masses, to hold back the movement from from going too far, etc. Uh, to complete the the revolutionary movement and so on. And with this, assassination, the, the you know the negotiation was immediately restarted um yeah, these uh, people who committed this uh, act of assassination, you know, probably one of the most swift one of the swiftest uh changes or swiftest uh pieces of uh of 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 uh, law enforcement they were arrested and they were put on speedy trial and they were sentenced to death. Uh, although there was uh, the death penalty was commuted uh, in nineteen ninety five and, and so on. But they and then it was changed to Life in prison, but it just it just showed the, the the enormous fear that the regime had at this stage, and 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 and, and the negotiations were set were started, and exactly a year later, the new uh, they 27 June so the 27 April 1994 was set as a date for a new next uh, elect for elections, which, which 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 took place during the negotiations. Uh, the, the final result of the of the negotiations, the so-called protest and negotiations, the final result was that the wealth, all the wealth of the of the nation of the of the country, would remain in the same hands as as the uh, as the, you know the people of always is always had it, but that state power would move to the uh, to the leaders of the liberation, movement. and uh, you know the ANC won the elections in 1994, and uh, out of this. Um, Friendship that was formed between nineteen nineteen eighty-four onwards with the informal negotiations, a whole layer of uh, of the of of the black elite, former leaders of the liberation movement, was uh, dragged into or sucked into or, or absorbed into the ruling class. Um, a tiny layer of of this you know, become uh, through schemes such as black economic empowerment became uh, Part of the ruling class, and so on, and that, and then in nineteen ninety four, the first uh, non-racial democratic elections that, uh, took place, and, and 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 so on. And what we have it is what we have. We have to be clear: was that nineteen ninety four was, uh, was a democratic phase that was, that was discovered, but a counter revolution that was that was it was a democratic. Uh, that was preserved, but they all backed the movement and from, from completing the, the, the process that took place in 1980s, 1990s where the working class were clearly fighting for not just for democracy and, and human rights and all of these kind of things, but they we were fighting for better living conditions, they were fighting for they were fighting against the capitalist system, we're consciously fighting against for socialism under the name of socialism, under the name of communism and so on. And in the end, the leadership uh, uh, at the last stage uh, held back the movement from completing the stance. Now, uh, as I said, it's now twenty-seven years later. We can talk about the the subsequent events in the discussion. But is as the process as this uh, process showed that nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties, what drove the events in that period was the democratic was the enormous movement of the working class. The was through behind them all the the uh, the oppressed layers of society, and ultimately overthrew the apartheid regime through their own uh, uh, struggles in the streets. All the subsequent uh, gains of the rev- revolutions, the the uh, democratic rights, the uh, the the, the unbanning of all the oppressive laws, the super spread of laws of the regime, and, and so on, the uh, the right to strike, the right to protest, the right to demonstrate. All of these things are byproducts of a revolutionary process that took place, in uh, of, that, was, that was completed by the South African working class. And this uh, this needs to be said. It needs, needs to be highlighted. It needs to be taught to the new generation of class fighters that is growing up in South Africa. It, uh, it was not uh, it was not uh, an elite thing that happened. It was not it was not the negotiation skills of the Terka Mandela and all of these kind of people. It was the movement of the working class. It ultimately sealed the fate of, this, of the regime, and these new elements, in the face of the new crisis that is, that is taking place in this country, need to be taught the, the history of the working class, the history of this country, the history of uh, enormous sacrifices that took place during that period, and enormous er- heroic struggles that took place, which ultimately led to the overthrow, the formal overthrow of the apartheid regime. Thank you. Guys. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the international Marxist tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this on our own. So if you agree with us, get involved. We can be found online at Marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at Marxist.com. Ben Morkin is a member of the group Revolution. You can visit Revolution's website. At www.marxist.co.za